you will be in Romans chapter 8. I don't know about you, but I've very much enjoyed our time together in Romans. Uh, we started a few weeks ago, and we come to uh, probably one of the greatest chapters in that um, book, Romans chapter 8. We have already talked about the first four verses, first three actually, first two, <laughs> excuse me. But today I want to talk to you about living a life as a Christian and I kind of titled this the arena of life. And so with that being said, we learned back earlier in the book that God gave us a gift called righteousness. And when he gave us that gift, it, uh, another word for righteousness for you and I to understand that would be to have worth, that God deemed you uh, of value to him. You were accepted of him. You are in a place now where you can go with him, you can associate with him, you can be close to him. That righteousness that we were given at our salvation experience. That righteousness then in turn gives us confidence as people in God. It gives us confidence in where we stand with him. It gives us courage against the world that we live in. It gives us security in the fact that we know we cannot be snatched out of his hand. That righteous gift that God gave us of righteousness. These things are essential in life. Courage, security, and confidence. Uh, Jesus had two sisters. He went to their house to eat dinner. One of them was in the kitchen cooking. The other one was sitting at his feet listening to him speak. And you remember that story, I'm sure, they were Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha came in complaining to the living room, saying that she needed Mary to get up and help her. And here's what Jesus had to say about that. Then the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. What was he talking about there? He was talking about the gift of righteousness. He was talking about Mary being accepted, being of value to the Lord, of, of uh, the understanding that they had together. Martha was all about serving the Lord. Mary was about being close to the Lord. That's the one thing that she had that would not be taken away from her. So this righteousness is really a sense that we have and possess of being secure and being needed in God. He gives us that gift, and that's exactly what it is. It is a gift. You don't earn righteousness. You can't attain righteousness yourself. You can attain self-worth by what other people think about you. You can build up your image and have that upstanding image in front of people but let me tell you something that won't take you very far that won't get you where you want to go that's like a covid vaccine it has to be repeated over and over and over again and guess what that self-worth that you get from other people it'll let you down just at the moment you need it the most but god's righteousness is not like that he gives us that, and we are always of value to Him. We are always in a place where we can be real to Him. 
So this gift that God gives us, how do I receive that gift? Romans has taught us so far, we receive that gift by faith, by my trusting in what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection, right? By faith, I believe that Jesus did that for me. He died in my place, and therefore, because I believe that, God gives us righteousness. God gives us worth. God gives us security. God gives us the things that we are really searching for in life. That's applied personally to every believer. Everyone who believes what Jesus did for them is a recipient of that righteousness. It's applied to people who are in Adam, who are mastered by sin. And God then moves in, removes Adam. Remember, we've learned the old man is dead. He's been removed, and the new man comes in. That's Christ, the Spirit of God, resting in you, residing in you. That is the gift of righteousness that we acquire. Now, Romans speaks about righteousness in two senses of the word. One, I just described to you, the righteousness that we acquire. Today, we're going to look at the righteousness that you and I display, the righteousness manifested in us, the righteousness that the world might see. So two different ways that we see this righteousness. What's the difference in the two? Well, one is done in the spirit. We acquire the righteousness of Christ in our spirit. Remember I told you about the vessel that we all have and the Holy Spirit fills that vessel, washing out the old man, removing the old man, and now the spirit of God fills our vessel and we are operating under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We don't always succumb to that leadership, but that's who we are now. We're, our identity has changed. We are a new person. Any man in Christ is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, new things have come. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We are justified by this faith that we have. We are no longer in Adam. We are now a new creation. Chapter 8 begins to describe to us the other righteousness. Same righteousness, but the other way that it is viewed, the other way it is seen by the world. It is on display in this arena of life that you and I live in. This is a seen righteousness by your words by your actions, by your deeds, by your love, by all the things that come with Christ, by your thinking. You surrender to Him more and more of your life day by day, and this righteousness then goes through you out into the world as being seen by the world. They see Christ in you. They don't see you. They see Christ in you. The righteousness that is seen. Let's stand together and read a couple of verses. Romans chapter 8, verse 3 and verse 4. For what the law could not do. Let me stop there. For what the law could not do. What could the law not do? It could not give me righteousness. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. For what the law could not do, God did. How? Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4 is important. Look at it. So that the requirement of the law 
might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, bless your word today. And Father, let us walk according to the Spirit from this day forward. Let us see the value of that and the importance of that and the benefit of that. And Lord, I pray you bless every heart in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Another word for this righteousness that is seen is a word in the Bible called sanctification. It's where you are being set apart. You are being transformed. You are being changed. You are being cleansed. Another word for sanctification is holy. You are being made holy, right? The word holy simply means set apart, different than what you were. You are not who you used to be. That person in you is dead. When you accept Christ, that reality of that cross experience 2,000 years ago becomes true to you. And Excuse me, your old man dies, and now you get the new man, Jesus Christ. And in the process of this transforming you into his image, you are sanctified. The righteousness of Christ begins to come out of you as you surrender day by day into his life that he's living for you. Being a Christian does not mean that you will become Christ-like. Right? Paul's going to teach us that as we go through these next couple of verses. Being a Christian does not mean that you become like Jesus. Right? It's something that you have to surrender to. You are uh, connected with Christ, yes, but you may not act like Him. It all depends on how you walk. Look in verse 4. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. And so, two things. We can either walk in the flesh or we can walk in the Spirit. And and let me restate that. You can walk according to the flesh or you can walk according to the Spirit. Now, what's the difference? Well, verse 4 tells us. Verse 3 tells us. One of the verses tells us. (laughs) Oh, I know where it is. Verse 5 tells us, aha, I hadn't read that yet. Verse 5 tells us the difference. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So my walking is really derived from the way I think. My mind set on something. My mind operating, my mind thinking, my viewpoint of life. Do I have a world view of life or do I have a biblical world view of life? It all has to do with your mind and what you're thinking. Paul wrote later in Romans, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen. So you and I have a lot of thinking to do this morning about what I think about. Now, look around you. What is it to have my mind on the flesh? My mind on the flesh means that I'm thinking of natural things, natural desires, natural wants, natural needs. Amen? I think about money. I think about having fun. I think about pleasure. I think about fulfilling myself. 
These are all natural things that we as human beings think about. We can see that as we look around in the congregation. We can see that on television. We can see that on the, hear that on the radio. We can read that in the newspaper. The world has these desires of making money, having fun, and fulfilling their pleasures in life. Now, what's wrong with that, you might say? This preacher is going to tell you nothing. Nothing is wrong with that. Unless... That's all that you want. If all that you want out of life is making money and having fun and fulfilling your natural desires, then that is very, very wrong. So that is walking according to the flesh. Now the Bible gives us two viewpoints. The scripture has another view, walking according to the spirit. And you might say, oh yeah, I know what that is. I forget all about making money, having fun, and fulfilling myself, and I turn around and get a Bible, and I memorize Scripture, and all I do is talk about God, and I tell everybody what's wrong with their life because it's not lining up with the Bible. That's what it is to walk in the Spirit. No, 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 no. That's not what it is to walk in the Spirit. If you are thinking that, that is just another form of walking in the flesh. Okay, You don't go around telling people their problems because you've got it all figured out. You don't just have to memorize the Bible to be spiritual. You don't have to uh, think about God all day long and think about nothing else to be a spiritual person. What is it to walk according to the Spirit then? That is what we're going to talk about. That's a, something that Paul wants us to understand. To walk according to the flesh is one way of fulfilling my life, but walking according to the Spirit then is this. In the midst of making money, in the midst of making money, in the midst of having fun, in the midst of seeking fulfillment in life, I see God working in all of that. That's walking in the Spirit. God knows you have to make money. God made this world for you to have fun. God wants you to fulfill pleasures in life. But when you do it without Him, you walk in flesh. When you do it with Him, you walk in spirit. In the middle of making money, God is glorified in you making money. In the middle of your fun, God is glorified in that fun. Now it's narrowing it down, isn't it? In the middle of you fulfilling your desires, God is glorified in those fulfillments of desire. That is walking in the Spirit. In the flesh, the end game is you. When I was 33 years old, I was living in the flesh Certainly, therefore, walking in the flesh, and the end game for me was me. But when I became a Christian, all of that changed. So walking in the flesh, the end game is you. Walking in the Spirit, the end game is glorifying your Father, glorifying God. Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine among men so that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see that? Everything we do as Christians 
It's about money. It's about fun. And it's about pleasure. But it's also and mostly about glorifying the one who saved me. The one who changed my life. The God who loves me and I love him in return. So in the spirit, our value systems change. Amen? We are not the same. We have been changed. We have a different viewpoint of life as we walk in the spirit. Look at verse 6. It gives us the results. Verse 6 says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. What does it mean to have my mind set on something? It means I think about it. If my mind is thinking about fleshly things, then I will, as verse 6 says, be dead in death. Now, that term there, death, does not mean when you get to the end of your life. That term death means now, today, this moment. If you're walking according to the flesh, you're a dead man walking. You are living a life of death. There's no positive benefit from that. There's no, nothing good that can come from living according to the flesh because you are dying. You are in death as you sit there in life. It is something that you experience now. How do I experience death now? Fear, guilt, emptiness. Shame, all the things that have to do with sin. I know as a Christian, when I, as when I was not a Christian and I committed sin, you know what? Something inside of me said, that ain't right. You shouldn't be doing that. That was my conscience that God put in me. Amen? That tells me when things are right and when things are wrong. So as you sin and you experience the wrong, your body begins to die. That's why God told Adam and Eve, don't eat that fruit in the middle of the garden because when you do, you will die. Did he mean right then? No. It wasn't poisonous food other than the fact that it was sinful disobedience to God which ultimately brought about the death of the body. So you and I are no different than Adam and Eve in the fact that our sin causes death in us. It causes our body to decay. It causes our body to wear out. It causes our body to dissolve into nothingness. You were made eternal. You were made to live forever, but sin comes and causes the death of every one of us. So that fear, that guilt, that hostility, these all come into mind when we are making money and having fun and, and finding pleasure. If that death is something that comes to me, how do, I, how do I reason that? How do I explain that? Well, in fear, let's take fear for instance. What does fear do to me? It causes anxiety. It causes me to worry. It causes me to have ulcers. You see that? It causes me to have a heart attack when I have fear in my life. What about guilt when I have guilt in my life? What does that do? It causes me to have shame. Have you ever hated yourself for the sin in your life? Have you ever just despised yourself for the things that you do? That is guilt. And it will tear you down and it will wear you out and rub you around in the pig pen. That's what guilt will do. Death, 
fear, guilt. What about hostility? Have you ever felt angry? Have you ever wanted revenge for something? Someone did something to you? Have you ever wanted to pay vengeance on someone? That's hostility. That's death. Amen? What about the last one, emptiness? Emptiness leads to depression and despair. We all have experienced those at one time in our life. Because of sin. Sin brings death. Not just the end of your life, death. The death you are living today as a human being because of the sin that is in your life. Because you are walking according to the flesh. Amen? So, Paul goes on to help us understand. So, what then is living in the Spirit? My mind is set on the things of the Spirit. I begin to think of the spiritual side of things. I begin to listen to the Holy Spirit of God. It's facing all of life with God working in it, with God working in me, with God helping me. He expects to be glorified in these things. If I'm living and walking according to the Spirit, I will make extra effort to see that God is glorified. I won't take credit for things that happen in my life because I did nothing. He did it. Amen? You know, in my testimony, I talk about my testimony and how God changed my life. And people come to me later or I talk to an old friend. They said, man, I love how you changed your life. And I said, wait a minute, right there. I did not change my life. God changed my life. I just simply gave my life into his hands. I did nothing about changing my life. He took all of it away from me and gave me a new life, as I believe the Bible teaches to say. And so what's the result of this life that we see in verse 6? It says, because for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So what is life? Right? What is life? Well, if, if, uh, if death is fear, then life is hope. Amen? If I'm walking in the flesh and I have fear in my life, I turn that around, the Lord gives me life, then I have hope and I have trust in life. If death is guilt, then life is acceptance. I don't have to hide. I don't have to run from God. I can be accepted by Him because I'm in life. Remember the Holy Spirit filling my vessel, and my vessel operates my body, and if I surrender to that, then I'm doing things that are pleasing to God. I'm putting to death the deeds of the body, right, by the Spirit of God within me. So if death is guilt, then life is acceptance. If death is um, hostility, then life is kindness and goodness. If, if death is emptiness, then life is fulfillment, so you can walk according to flesh and live in death, or you can walk according to spirit, Christian, and you can live in life, experiencing all the things that this world has to offer and God being glorified in all of it. Amen. What a great way to live. So when this happens, then life is lived out by the person that I have become to be. And because of that, God gives me peace. He says, Flesh is death, life, walking in spirit, excuse me, is life and peace. So now as I live this life, I have a coping mechanism. 
People say, well, how come you didn't react like this when you did that? Because I have peace. That doesn't matter anymore. Those things are material. Those things don't affect my insides. You see, I have peace because I'm walking according to the Spirit. I have a coping mechanism now to live in this life, this mind that is set on the Spirit. Let's move on. Look in verse 7. It's not all Paul has to offer today. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. You know, the Bible teaches us about the spirit and the flesh being opposed to one another. But now I learn in verse 7 that God is opposed to the flesh. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you haven't. But if you're living according, as a Christian, you are living according to the flesh. Your mind is thinking about the flesh. Guess what? God is against you. He is lined up across the line opposing you. Man, there is no greater dangerous place to be than across the line from an opposing God. Amen? If you live as a Christian according to the flesh, God's lined up facing you one-on-one and He's opposed to you. Wow, I don't want to go there. I don't even want to think about the results of that. I don't want to live according to the flesh. I don't want to walk according to the flesh. I want to line up with God, not opposed to God. Now we can see what James says in chapter 4, verse 6. Come on, computer. I know I've been behind. Sorry about that. Here we go. James 4, 6. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Also, James tells us this. If I'm living in the flesh, excuse me, if I'm living according to the flesh, here's what James says about that as well. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. If you are living for you, my friend, if you're living to fulfill your needs and your fleshly wants and your fleshly desires, as a Christian, you can do that. You walk according to flesh. Guess what? Where that exists in your mind is disorder and every evil thing. Wow, what a bad place to be as a Christian, to get Walking according to the flesh. Paul is teaching us now there's a difference in walking according to the flesh and living in the flesh. That's a non-believer. That's a non-Christian. They live in the flesh. That's all they know. That's where they exist. But a Christian can walk according to flesh. He can be a Christian and still walk according to this world's desires and let it play out in his life. That's who God is addressing this morning. Perhaps that might even be you. God gives grace to the mind that is set on the Spirit. He helps that mind. He advances that mind. God works on their behalf in that mind. Look in verse 8. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see that? 
He's talking about walking according to flesh as a Christian. Now in verse 8, he talks about being in the flesh. An unsaved man cannot please God. So there is a difference, and we need to know that. You know, you cannot tell a person is a Christian. Did you know that? The Bible tells us here that we cannot tell at that moment if a person is a Christian or not. A Christian can do some dastardly things. Amen? They can say some hard words. They can uh, do some terrible deeds. They can act unbecomingly of a Christian. They can fall into a trap of sin. A non-Christian can be gracious, can be kind, can be loving. Do you know any like that? I certainly do. I know people that are uh, very gracious people, very kind people, but they're not believers in God, and they're not certainly saved. So Paul says you can't tell someone by their action for the moment. Well, how do you tell them? Well, it's not so much necessary that we do tell the difference, but there is a difference. You see, it's played out in the testing of life. In the testing of life, the Christian will rise. In the testing of life, the non-Christian will fall. There is a difference. It may take weeks, months, or years for you to see that difference in a person that you know. But there is a difference in being in the flesh or walking according to the flesh. Not all Christians do the right thing all of the time. Can I get an amen for that? And so, what do we do? Verse 9 tells us, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You see that? Paul says, Someone in the flesh cannot please God, but you, Christian, are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. Let's go on. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So, there is a difference, and it's revealed in the testing of life. One collapses, the other rises, and you can live according to the flesh, but we don't want to live that way. We want to live according to the Spirit, and Paul says you can do that if the Spirit is in you. Do you have the Spirit? Do you know that you have the Spirit? Are you sure that you have the Spirit? You see, Paul says that it's very simple. If you don't have the Spirit, then you don't belong to Jesus. It's that simple. It's not hard to understand. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Jesus Christ. Now here is Paul's goal and Paul's aim for all of this. All right? Let me get my screen caught up. Here we go. Paul's goal, certainly God's goal for us. We find that in verse 10 and 11. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Do y'all see that? We got the gift of righteousness given to us. The Spirit of God came in and filled our vessel, pushing the old man out. He's dead. He's gone. That body of death is gone. And now we have a new life in Jesus Christ. Read verse 9 again. 
However, you are not in the, or 10, I'm sorry. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The body is dead. It's growing old. I look across this congregation. I've been here over 12 years now, and I see some of you have changed since I first got here. Amen. You've gotten older. So have I. My gray hair's coming out. I don't move as fast when I get out of bed nowadays. It takes me a minute. Amen. What, what is that? My body is dying. This body is decaying. It's going to go away. It's dying. Do you understand that? That's what Paul is telling us here. Though the body is dead because of sin. Sin killed my body. Sin is killing your body. But the spirit in you is living. Look what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. You see that? The Spirit fills us and He renews us day by day. Even though this body is dying and decaying, my inner man is being renewed. Now he says in verse 11 that... uh, The same God who raised Jesus from the dead, the same power will also give life to your mortal body. Now, some people want to say that has to do with the resurrection at the end. No, it doesn't. That's not what that's talking about. A mortal body is not a dead body. A mortal body is a living body. So he says right here that the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, he will also give life to your living body. The Spirit will come and give life to you. Amen. It will come and change how you live and how you do. The sin sleeping in you as a beast awakens, it attacks you, and it conquers you. Amen. But something's happened anew in you. In 1 John chapter 4, it says this. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen? So you don't have to succumb to sin anymore. You now for the first time as a believer possess the resurrection power to say no to that old man. You never had that before. It always defeated you. It always overcame you. It always won against you. But now with Christ in you, you have the power over that. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Amen? And I don't have to succumb to those things. I don't have to point uh, and give up. I have resurrection power in my life and as well as you in yours. You don't have to think wrong thoughts anymore. They might pop in your head, but you just do away with them. You don't think about them. You don't dwell on them anymore. You don't have to let your hands do things that are ungodly anymore. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go there. You don't have to let your ears hear those things. When I became a Christian, that was the first thing that Gil and I noticed. We went back to that place where we had met and grew up together and got married and family and friends. And we went into that door and we heard the language like you can't imagine. 
And guess what? I'd heard that my whole life until I got saved. And I walked in that same place, and I heard that language, and we looked at each other, and we said, we're out of here. We can't take that. What happened? The new man pushed out the old man. And now this man wants to please the new man. I want to glorify the new man. I want to make sure God is glorified in all my money-making things, all my fun activities, all of my life-fulfilling pleasures. I want God to be glorified. And in doing that, then God blesses His people. I don't have to sin anymore. I have resurrection power in me, according to Romans 8, 11. Now, I want you to look on the screen. Go back to Romans 6. It says this, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. You know, you think, well, how, how can that possibly work, Brother Clay? How can I just say, okay, God, I'm going to present myself to you, and he's going to help me to overcome my sin. You know what? I don't know how that works. All I know is it does. Amen? All I know is it does work. Instead of, instead of letting my mind dwell on that and walk according to flesh, I present myself to God. And I say, God, I want to glorify you in my life. And you know what happens to that sin? It just disappears. It goes away. And all of a sudden, I find myself in the middle of a worship session. Don't need a radio to worship. Don't need to be at church to worship. I can be sitting in my living room quietly doing nothing and worship. Because God's turning that sin away from me. Resurrection power working in and through our lives. Let's go on and look in verse 12. All right? The Bible says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You know, I've come these 30 years as a Christian to learn to trust in God's Word. To trust what he says. And you know when it says right there in verse 13, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. It means you are dying. If you are living according to the flesh, you are already dying. The Spirit must push those things out of your life, that flesh, and allow that to happen. They are worthless to you. They are void in your life. So now... I said, what does the world desire to do? Make money, have fun, and fulfill pleasure. Now as a Christian, walking according to the Spirit, I can go out and make money. I can go out and have fun. I can go out and fulfill pleasure. Because God is being glorified in my life. You see that? My pleasure is not the world's pleasure. My fun is not the world's fun. I've done that. I've been there. And I know where that leads. Straight to hell. But I'm experiencing new things in Christ and new things in God as I walk in the Spirit. 
as I walk in the flesh according to the Spirit, that God is glorified in my arena of life. I want to challenge you today. Maybe you are a Christian, but you know you've been walking according to flesh. You know that you love Him. You know that you're saved. You made that commitment, and you are His child, but you've gotten away from Him. Your mind is set on fleshly things. You come this morning. Get on your knees right here and ask God to forgive you and come home to Him. Get that new mindset. Give yourself to Christ. Let Him control you. Surrender yourself to Him. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you don't know if you're a Christian or not. Come down here and talk to me. We'll go through the Bible. I'll help you. I'll show you. It's very simple. A child can do it. Those kids down there in children's church can do it. I know you can do it. It simply means that you surrender yourself to God. Hey, I've got two men in my life right now that I witness to. And they're close to my family. And yeah, they know about God. And they believe in God. And they're they, uh, they think about God. They pray every day, they tell me. They read their Bibles every day, they tell me. But you know what? They haven't surrendered to God. You don't go to heaven by knowing about God. You go to heaven by knowing Him, by trusting in what He says, by doing what He asks. It's not on your terms that you go to heaven. It's on His terms. Today, surrender to God's terms. Truly become a believer and start walking according to the Spirit. Your life, it will blow you away what your life can entail as a Christian. Stephen Curtis Chapman said it the best. Life with Christ is an adventure. Amen? It is. Let's pray together. Father, bless this moment in this room and the people that are here in the hearts and the minds of all, Lord. And I pray that your spirit moves in this place and it convicts people. It reassures people. It instructs people. It warns people. I pray, Father, that your will is done in these next few moments as we sing an invitation song. Really a song of decision. Every one of us will make a decision in these next moments. Some will be for Christ, and some will be for the world. I pray, Lord, that you strengthen those leaning to the left. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.